Today we are back in James, and today we are talking about the tongue. What we say. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> the tongue. So uh, what we say and the implications of the things that we say. Asking the question, how can we tame our tongue? All right. But before we jump in, I want us to think about the power and influence that the spoken word has had in our lives. How has kind of verbal things said to us shaped who we are and how has it shaped our lives as a whole? Maybe you think of your relationships. Uh, you probably fell in love by speaking to each other. Long conversations that went into the night as you revealed yourself to another person and they revealed themselves in turn. Or maybe... <laughs> sorry. Uh, or maybe... Uh, you have your, your marriage vows, your wedding vows, that those are the most important words that you said, that they change the course of your life forever. We think of the gospel of Jesus and how most of us heard from the lips of another believer what Christ has done for us. And it changed who we are. It changed our eternal destination. It changed our, our relationship to the God of the universe. We have to recognize that the spoken word has has great power and great blessing, that we will carry words of love and care and instruction with us into eternity. But in the same token, we, know, we recognize that also the, these spoken words can have immense destructive power. I'm sure there's things that people have said to you that you just can't get out of your head, that have stuck with you and will stay with you until your dying day. We often talk about how uh, abuse, what is the worst form of abuse? Most people who are abused don't say that it's the physical abuse. They say it's the, the verbal abuse, that that keeps coming back to haunt them and hurt them over and over and over, year in and year out. Maybe you've said things that you can never take back, that you have deep regrets over. Today we are talking about the tongue. We're talking about what we say and why we say the things that we do. So we have another convicting passage in James. We're going to see James is going to help us see that, that there is a guiding and influencing power to the tongue, that the tongue is immensely powerful. And we're also going to see in James that the tongue is also immensely evil if left to itself. Now my hope is that as we recognize those truths, we might ultimately hear the word that God spoke, Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we might be cleansed in how we speak. And then we might go forth and bless others in the way that we talk. Right. So let's look at James 3, verses 1 through 12. It's James 3, verses 1 through 12. You probably anticipated that. But. All right. Chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in their, into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies also. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. For a spring, can a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Right, let's pray. Father, as we listen to your word, we ask that you might give us ears to hear, and that our ears to hear might give us mouths to speak of your blessings as found in Christ. Teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the first main point that James is trying to set forth is that the tongue is a powerful guiding force. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So in addressing the tongue, James chooses to do kind of an aside on teaching itself, pointing out the fact that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Basically, they'll receive worse punishments for sins of the tongue. No, comforting as I, as I teach in front of all of you. So, so pray for me. But why, why is this the fact? That teachers are judged with greater strictness. It's basically because uh, my tongue is set loose right now. That for 40 minutes, you, you are forced to... 30, 40, three hours. Um, <laughs> uh, you have to listen to, to my tongue and my talking head go on and on. And... In that, I have power. There's influence and power given because you're subject to my tongue. Now, that's always the case. And with that power, teachers are going to be judged what they do with it. Do they use it to, to glorify God or to, to use it to their own gain? All right. But the, the fact that it's not just that teaching is so influential. It's not that teaching is just some magic thing. It's that behind teaching is the truth that the tongue is powerful and influential. It is powerful and influential. So as you think about your life, not many of you are going to write books. Not many of you are going to create some impressive work of art. Not many of you are going to do anything that will really last into eternity. What is going to be the thing that is going to last the most eternal, significant way that you will shape this world? It'll most likely be through what you say. What you see, say day in and day out, that could have eternal consequences. What you say influences people, and it shapes them for better or for worse. In that sense, we are all teachers. We guide and we instruct, we advise. 
We have all of those little things that we tell people, little bits of advice, our opinions that we give free of, free of charge. We're gracious in that way. We tell people what to do. And we have to recognize that we will be judged for that. That every time we open our mouths, we have to recognize that we all stumble in many ways, verse 2. And the implication is that every time we talk, there's the danger of sin kind of seeping out. So for those people who constantly are talking, you're basically navigating a minefield all the time. That you've taken it upon yourself to, to do something really dangerous and risky through talking. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent. When we talk a lot, we are taking risks. Every time we open our mouth, we are taking a risk. We have to assess, what am I saying? Is it good? Is it evil? We recognize that there is immense power in what we say. So we watch what we say. But James is going to take that uh, one step further. Not only are words powerful at influencing other people, he stresses the fact that words are actually powerful in shaping who you are and who you become. Look at verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This is a surprising verse. It's basically saying that if you manage somehow to control your tongue, actually the whole rest of your life and body will follow. That if you perfect the tongue, you will become perfect. If you tame your tongue, you will have tamed yourself. He points this out in a couple analogies. First, bridling the horse, verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So this little piece of metal put in a horse's mouth, it's going to direct their whole body. In the same way, if we control the tongue, if we direct the tongue, it'll direct our whole bodies, everything that we do. All right, a not nautical image for those who don't like horses, but it's, it's Fair Hill, so you better like horses, right? Verse 4, uh, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So there's this little flap, this little rudder, and it navigates for these huge ships, for huge planes. This one little flap guiding the whole process. In the same way, that's what our tongues do. This one little flap, wagging back and forth, is going to direct the whole course of our lives, where we go and who we become. Now, how does that look practically? Well, let's say that you are someone who regularly voices frustration and bitterness and criticism. In that process, you're actually training yourself. You're practicing and rehearsing being bitter. You're basically helping yourself along so that you are better able and more apt to see bitterness when you encounter it. And there's lots to be bitter about in a fallen world. And basically through your tongue, you're training yourself to see it. And you'll be shaped into a person who can only see the bitterness. They can only see misery. You have turned yourself into a miserable person. Right? It's the same way with expressions of anxiety. That leads to, to doubt. 
Expressions of fear lead to cowardice. Expressions of anger lead to abuse. So I'm going to say that there are some things that we ought never to speak. There are some things that we just don't say. There's a quote by, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Isolated thoughts of judgment can be curbed and smothered by never allowing them the right to be uttered except as a confession of sin. So basically there's all of these thoughts swirling around and you can kill those things by never uttering them except as confession. I think we sometimes have this notion that maybe just venting, just getting it out there. No, that's, that's actually practicing and reinforcing the sin that is in our minds and in our hearts. That we kill those things by never uttering them, by refusing to accept as confession. There's endless sin underneath every, every bitter comment, and we can kill that by just refusing to speak them. All right, so who, who's all terrified to speak now? <laughs> it seems like that, that could be the best option at this point. Maybe if I just stop talking, if I'm totally silent, then I'll be safe from sin. But the problem is that it goes the other way as well. So if you can shape yourself to become bitter, you can also shape yourself to be holy and righteous in a sense. So that if you are a thankful person, who is ready to be thankful about things, expresses that thankfulness, you'll actually guide yourself into being more thankful, into seeing things to be thankful for. Blessings will kind of blossom all around you, and you will see this, this garden of God's delight everywhere. You'll see the hand of God, and you'll be able to see it and express it. So in, in talking about sins of the tongue, we don't just talk about what you don't say, or what you do say, we talk about what you don't say. You can fail to actually speak the blessings and the good things of God and miss out on what God has for you. That's me the case with thankfulness. But we can also fail in not saying the harder things in saying things like rebuke. If we are silent at the wrong times, we're actually going to train ourselves to be apathetic towards sin. As we sit there silent and watch sin happening, we are giving power to it. And by not speaking, we kind of lull ourselves into lethargy and allow ourselves to, to be people, or our whole bodies, that are content and uh, accepting of sin. Now, this is a big call. Ultimately, what are we called to, to talk? How are we called to talk? If we're going to guide our bodies through our tongues, we are to talk as Jesus Christ would. That if we want to be conformed into the image of Jesus, we ought to talk as Jesus did. Amen. Now that, that includes the, the gracious, amazing things that he says, like, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Amazingly gracious things. But there's also the harder things. He tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. We have to be that kind of bold and courageous as well. And as we express those things, as we talk as Jesus did, not only will we conform ourselves to the image of Christ, we'll actually conform other people to the image of Christ, helping them become as Jesus was. So we ought to watch what we say 
and we have to ought to watch what we do not say. But as you watch your tongue, as you listen to it, you're going to find that the second point that James makes is also true. The tongue is profoundly evil. Look at the second half of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now that is a, that is a harsh critique of the tongue. How does James get to the point where he sees this tongue as so profoundly evil? It can't be that bad. And you probably don't think that your own tongue is that bad. But I'm going to say that you probably haven't tested it. So I didn't think that I talked as, as that badly, that I kind of had come a long way in this area. Until this week, I started reading this passage and then like, was listening to my speech in a different way. And what did I find? I found that I'm awfully, often complaining and grumbling and saying things to, to tear down and not build up that I'm often speaking about out of my emotions and not out of the truth of Christ. As we test these things, we're going to see that they are true. That the sin in our tongues are, is profoundly evil. Now look at the analogies that James uses here. Alright, so what are our tongues like? Our tongues have the ability, like a forest fire, to spread evil and destruction. We think of things like, uh, like gossip and slander and lies. How those things can kind of sweep through the body, creating destruction, killing relationships. He says that the tongue has the ability to stain the body with sin. Basically polluting it. Dirtying it. We see that in things like uh, boasting, in crude joking, in criticism, in complaining, we're defiling the body. And not just defiling our own body, we're actually spreading that sin throughout the body of Christ into the church. He says that our tongues are full of murderous poison, that we curse and judge and criticize one another. We tear people down with our words. We need to recognize that when we speak, our tongues have the capacity for incredible evil. That we can't just say everything that comes to mind. We can't just let our tongues loose. We have to be very careful with what we say. Recognizing that we are dealing with this serpent. And we don't just let it loose. Alright. Now there's a problem kind of in this whole passage. On one hand it's saying, you know, if you can tame this tongue and you, you will have tamed all of yourself. But then we have verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed or has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. So we're in a bit of a lurch there, that our hope is to tame the tongue, but it's also homeless, uh, hopeless to try to do that. 
Now, why is it untamable, this tongue? And why is the tongue so evil? It's because the tongue is expressing the, the views of our heart. That there's a deep connection there. We can't change our tongue if we are inherently evil. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The final contention that James has with the tongue is that it's kind of double-minded. We're double-tongued. That we say one thing to one person and say another to another. We bless God our Father, and then we go and curse people who actually are reflecting God and made in His image. So I think the sinful tongue, at best, is going to bless sometimes and curse sometimes. It's going to have two aspects. So that you say one thing to, to God and another thing to people. Or you say one thing to a person's face and another thing behind their backs. Maybe you say one thing in public and another thing in private. You say one thing when you're happy, another when you're sad or when you're angry. James would say, brothers, these things ought not to be so. And why not? Why is this such a big deal? It's because it's revealing the pollution of our own hearts. That our tongues are merely expressing what our heart is trying to say. And so it reveals kind of false heartedness. That our true passion is, is not to bless, it is not love for God. That we have other ulterior motives deep within us. And our tongue is revealing those things. Now, this is, this is incredibly convicting because it forces us to see that, that our hearts are not where they ought to be. James echoes the words of Jesus. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in one sense, the trouble is with the tongue, but on another sense... The trouble is with the heart. So what do we do with wicked hearts that are longing to express themselves? I think as a general rule, holistically, the sins of the tongue can only be killed by the blessings of the tongue. That evil has to be killed by good. That good words are going to overwhelm evil words. And I think we see that when we look to Christ, when we look to God, we see that God has spoken. That he spoke his own word to address our evil ones. Now when God speaks, what does he say? I think his, his primary expression, the primary thing that he says is the word. The word of God who is Jesus Christ, the son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the, wo the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When God speaks, he, he speaks the Word. 
And in response to the evil of humanity in all of our cursing and the sinfulness of our tongue, God spoke the word of God, Jesus Christ, into creation. He sent his son, the son of God to become the son of man, the son of Mary. He spoke. And what was the content of that message? On one hand, it was incredibly truthful. When Jesus Christ came as the word of God to walk among us, he came with the, the gospel. He came with the good news that God was saving sinful people. But the hard part is that deep within that is a rebuke. He is honest about the fact that we have sinful hearts. We have to be just as honest if we are expressing the gospel. But the gospel also contains this amazing message of grace. That we are accepted in spite of our evil and wicked tongues. That we are called out of those things. That we are loved not by what we do, but by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. That was God's response, God's word to sinful people who deserve to be cursed. Instead, he blessed us with the word of the gospel. Now that is going to change how we see our own speech. That when, even when we ought to curse, we give blessing as the God who ought to have cursed blessed us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to say, what, what is... What does the gospel say to us? What is the gospel communication? Well, in Jesus, God says to you that you are sons and daughters of God himself. That you are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. That you are the beloved bride. That you are the apple of his eye. You are his true friend with true intimacy. That you are his prized possession, his work of art that he is crafting into a masterpiece. He says that you are his very body, that you are part of him. He says that you are princes and princesses, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are the chosen people of God. That is what God has decided to tell us. That is what he has spoken. Those are the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you are called to live out of that nature. You are to express the reality that in your heart that you are the beloved of Christ. Now how might that look? This week I was standing at the grocery store feeling bitter that the line was long. All right, you're just like, this, this is so annoying. What is going on? This is ruining my Saturday. All right, what was I expressing? Like, goofy entitlement. Like, that was the expression of my heart. All right, you stop, and then you say, okay, how do I, how does my heart reflect the gospel in this moment? Am I a cursed person? No, I'm deeply blessed. <laughs> right, like... This in the material sense, like I, I'm sitting here buying something at a store. It's a, this is not a, a bad thing. But holistically, like united to Christ, the, the beloved son of our Savior, of God of the universe, that there's going to come a day when there's nothing but fullness of joy in his presence. That he chose me out of nothing that I did. 
that would turn complaining and whining into just simple expressions of joy. That is what it looks like to express the heart of the gospel and to express it in speech. Now, this is what we're responsible for. What we are responsible for killing our evil tongue with a redeemed tongue expressing the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we have a different solution that is offered sometimes. It's just silence. And sometimes it's good not to talk as much. If someone is incessantly talking about pointless things, it would do them good to just not talk. <laughs> you can tell them that for me. Um, uh, but, but we can do better than that. We can do better than just silence. Otherwise, we would have to silence ourselves all the time. We are actually supposed to speak the words of blessing in the gospel as a way of counteracting the evils of the tongue. We want to redeem the tongue, not just silence it. So let's take that same person who talks too much as opposed to being silent. What if they are talking abundantly of Jesus Christ and who he is? Just brimming with glorifying and praising him. That's a much better solution than mere silence. We are called to suppress our boasting about ourselves by boasting about Jesus Christ and what he's done. To counteract cruelty and criticism by building people up in Christ. By asking for forgiveness. By confessing our sins with our tongues. We counteract expressions of doubt and fear by expressions of faith in Jesus and trust in him. We kill gossip by spreading rumors of Christ's love for sinful people. Maybe we destroy criticism by encouraging people in who they are in Christ, not pointing out who they are in their sin. In all of these things, we are using our tongues in a way that redeems the tongue and it's moving us towards more than just mere silence. Ultimately, we, we, if we want to change the way that people talk, if we want to try to change the hearts of men, we need to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just to believers or unbelievers, to everyone. Everyone needs to hear that message again and again and again. All right, so let's do a couple examples. Let's say someone comes to you complaining about someone else. All right, what are you called to do? Conventional wisdom would say, you can change the subject. Just don't, don't join them in their conversation. All right, how can we do better than that? Remind them of the call to not complain and criticize. To see people in light of Christ and, and how Christ sees them. Maybe you could help them see the person differently. To, to love them and value them as Christ does. Maybe you could tell them of the, the gospel of grace. Remind them of it. And say that, that that is what they owe to this person. Maybe it would look like encouraging them to go to that person directly. To seek reconciliation as Christ is reconciled with us. Now that is a redeemed tongue using all of this power, not for wickedness, but for good. That is much better than just sitting there silent or changing the subject. This is redeeming the tongue. Now, let's say that you said something terrible to someone. 
that never happens, but in case that ever happens to one of you, uh, silence is not the solution. That is not going to heal any wounds. You go and talk to them. You confess your sin, you ask for forgiveness as Christ forgives. You tell them what you should have said in Christ. What should you have said that would reinforce the gospel? Who are they in the gospel that you should have pointed out? We are redeeming the tongue, taking those cursing away and then turning them actually into blessings. That is what we are called to do. Because Christ came as the word of God, as the blessing of God to we who are cursed. And now as blessed people, we are to express that blessing of Jesus Christ and his gospel in all of our speech. In light of the gospel, we want to bring forth our singular, powerful, good word of nothing but Jesus. Letting people know his love and his grace and his truth.